Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to a long-awaited Ghost Army podcast. Yes, I know, we put these out from time to time, but Spooky is back, and we are here to talk about our favorite bolt-action event of the year. Of course, we are talking about the big show, CanCon. Now, we have had uh, CanCon running for quite a while now for a huge number of game systems. Um, I first played in CanCon 15, 16 years ago, um, and I have played a number of games there over the years. However, Bolt Action kicked off when uh, Bolt Action was originally released in version one, and CanCon's been running uh, Bolt Action as Australia's largest event since that time. Now, for the longest time, it was run by Q-Man, then it was run by our good friend Peter West, and then it was run by a rotating uh, group of TOs. Um, most recently, Hare and Tristan from the Bacon Burgers, who did a fantastic job last year. But this year, we have the return of Peter West. Now, it's no secret on this podcast uh, that we love Pete West. He is a regular on other shows on the Cast Dice Podcast Network. But to have the man back, the, the big kahuna back as TO for CanCon, means that uh, some of the old Ghost Army crew are coming out for CanCon. Now, joining me tonight is a man who I have watched on camera paint six new units for a brand new army while I was talking in the last minute and 58 seconds. That's right. A man who wrote Grimlock in today. The man, the myth, the legend. Patchamus Prime. Welcome back to the Ghost Army podcast. Happy New Year, Brad. Happy New Year, brother. How are you? Good. Excited. I think it's I think it's a special time that we're we're going back to Cancun. I, of course, am Old Man Warren, and together we are Patch and I going to be sporting Spooky, the Ghost Army podcast ghost logo on our t-shirts for CanCon this year because we are both playing Bolt Action. Now, Patch, it has been a hot minute since you have played Bolt Action at CanCon. Mm, mm, I think, I'm trying to think, I think it was 2017. Uh, I think it was when the last time I played at CanCon was when it was the French. Remember we had a big group of French players? That's right. And uh, I think that was the last time. The last time I played CanCon and played Bolt Action, it was the last event of first edition. Mm. So about 2015? 2015, yeah. 2015-ish, yeah. So it has been a while since I have played. Obviously, I've played a lot of uh, Bolt Action in other places. I just haven't been back, mainly because I had... Um, some competition issues uh, in that I got over competitive and got embarrassed and I haven't played since. But um, given that Pete West is coming back and you and I were talking about it, I thought it would be a good time to, uh, you know, I don't think I have any uh, notions of trying to win anything. It's more of uh, just going to go up and see some faces and have a good time because that was one thing I did go to <clears throat> CanCon last year. 
which had been the first time I'd been in a long time. And I played Marvel Crisis Protocol, but I did see lots of familiar faces and I did miss the camaraderie of CanCon as a whole and of the bolt action community. So uh, I'm excited to be going back with you. Patch, there are so many different game systems that can be played at CanCon. Why bolt action this year? Yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good point. Uh, because nothing significantly has changed with the game, really, from the time that that you and I kind of wandered away and and looked at other things. Nothing really has changed. So why would I come back to it now? Well, I think a couple of reasons. One is that I never really left. I I, I still maintained a bit of you know some interest into the scene. I was still mm-hmm. playing bold action games here and there, although not as consistently as I had in the past. But I think. Realistically, one of the reasons I, I kind of moved away from bolt action was probably oversaturation over yeah. a long period of time, where I probably just played too many games, uh, and and bolt action was the only one I was playing, and I probably just got a bit fatigued, to be honest. Uh, and at the time that I, the time that I sort of took a break, I also found that it was, yeah, I think it was at the time needing some rejuvenation to, to mm-hmm. keep my interest. So I've stepped away and I've been playing other systems, primarily Kings of War, which I've been playing at CanCon for the last four or so years. And I think it's just time to return. I, I think with, the, like what you said earlier, Peter West taking charge, I'm like, oh, well, Peter, Peter's one of my you know, local gamers that we play with. And also I've got your, you know, when we started chatting and you showed an interest, I'm like, what a great opportunity. And there's still a lot of people in the scene, including my old gaming group from Newcastle who are going this year. So it's like kind of the return of some of the older players. Um, and I, I'm interested. Also a little bit interested in bold action again as I get into it with a, the feeling that there's there's maybe some resurgence, if, if you like, into the, into the general scene. I, I want to be part of that. It is interesting. Um... You and I did uh, something that I was thinking of while you were talking there is not only have you started playing a bit more bolt action this year, um, you helped me play test the bolt action Alliance mission pack. And while you were talking about playing lots of different games, I have been playing a gross amount of bolt action in the last couple of years. And for me, when the pack came out, I kind of got burnt out and I haven't, I've played one game of bolt action since the mission pack, I think was sent off to be revised, which I believe was maybe, well, I think I've played one game since June. So it's been quite a while, which given how much I enjoy bolt action and play bolt action all the time, normally it's been Mm. a little weird. And so again, Pete West yourself, but I thought, what a great way to go and play five guaranteed games of bolt action over a weekend, get to see yeah. some friends, and get some quality time in with a game system that I love. I've, I've got a controversial, a controversial perhaps statement question. Ooh, do it. In that having having played, I think at, at the time I could see the I felt when I kind of moved away from bolt action that there was a competitive edge coming in that perhaps I wasn't as comfortable with. 
in that, I guess, the representation of that was seeing the same kind of lists coming at me uh, time and time again when I was playing and, and be that British or German, you know, the leveraging off the, the Tiger Fear rule and the various things. And I, and I felt oh, I wasn't super comfortable with that. So moving into a different system and picking up Kings of War, Perhaps that made me realize that bold action wasn't as competitive as what I thought it was because Kings of War is a very competitive game, particularly at events. Um, very cutthroat, uh, very list orientated. Um, so, you know, very number crunchy kind of a game, uh, all about angles, all about numbers. And so, coming back to bold action, I'm not expecting, or if you like, I'm not really expecting to see much of that after being in that kind of competitive scene for a while and doing terribly, by the way, always, <laughs> bottom. <laughs> always bottom. I just mm-hmm. couldn't, get, couldn't get my head around all those angles. Um, and coming back in, I'm expecting bold action to be not nearly as bad as perhaps what I thought it was. That's my controversial opinion for today. Yeah. Look, I hear you. Um, I think that we have gotten more competitive in the bolt action seen uh in recent years both internationally and locally that's my controversial uh statement but i think that australia still does an excellent job of sort of self-policing itself and pete west has done a pretty amazing job of pulling together a player pack that yeah i mean he said it in the last episode of cast ice where we went through the player pack for cancon that he expects people to come to play to win but the expectation is to play and have fun at the same time. Put your best foot forward, but also you shouldn't be playing at the expense of your opponent. And so a lot of the things that can sometimes lead to feel-bads, over-efficient units, or some things that kind of, quote-unquote, break the game a little, have been eliminated from this pack. And he's trialing a few rules changes. Uh, I think a couple of them were done from in last year's event. He's trying some different missions from different places. So he's trialing some different elements of both the gameplay, the listing, the unit selection, and what gets played on the tabletop objective-wise to give people a a fresh experience uh, when playing bolt action. Which It's a really fine balance, isn't it? It, It's a fine balance. And... You know, I'm, I'm not sure we've ever got it right because there's always someone walking away from an event with a few feel-bads, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at that, I think with the way that, yeah, what I'm seeing within the community now, there's probably there's probably a good balance um, in the sense you've got that hard, the hard barriers with the, the player pack. Um, and then ultimately, though, I think these events, and particularly with the Swiss system, they sort themselves out to a certain extent, right? You know, if you've got super competitive dudes, by game three, they're playing each other. Yeah. And that's and that's what it is. Uh, I have absolutely no intention of being anywhere near the top half of, of the field, um, particularly coming back into it and, and not having my head in the game and still trying to remember all the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, I expect to be down the bottom, but it's also with the mindset of, oh, I'm going to have a blast playing this game and I'm yeah. just not going to sweat on the little things, right? You know, I'm not going to sweat on on whether or not that's correct, super duper correct measurement that my opponent has done. We're just going to have a bit of a fun with it, and you know, nothing to heart. 
Like, it's just, I, I don't really care who wins. That's that's exactly. my sort of take into it. That reminds me, I played in a Marvel Crisis Protocol event last weekend. And as I said, walking in, you know, people I've seen from other game systems, like, oh, you know, you're playing to win today. You know, you're, you know, you're ready to go. And uh, my response was, I expect to be playing on the kids' tables, using a Thanksgiving analogy, for the entirety of this event. And I surprisingly won a game, but I had a blast the entire time. And just taking all the pressure off and mm. just rolling dice and laughing with your opponent, it's amazingly freeing. I was playing to win, but I also didn't go in with extreme expectations. In fact, yeah. I went in with the opposite of extreme expectations and was pleasantly surprised that I almost won one game, did yep. win another game, um, and was totally unsurprised but still had a blast when I got pantsed in game three. I'm coming into CanCon with a similar philosophy because when I played competitively, I didn't sleep for the week going up to these events. I played competitive 40 K at the sharp and pointy end forever. And then I jumped over to fantasy battle where again, I played fa uh, fantasy very competitively. And then I jumped to bolt action where when we started out, I also played very competitively. And um, the idea of, you know, not sleeping or worrying about an event now is kind of alien. Uh, I have I have enough worries to do with my day job yeah. and make sure that the children in my care are fine. That I don't I don't need that in my life. And so yeah. going in and having a good time this year is my goal. I am coming with a list that I think has some traction, but isn't. In fact, it's in. I'm doing some new things with it, and we'll talk about that a little later. I'm not expecting to win a lot, mm. but I'm going to go in and I'm going to try, damn it. But I'm also not going to lose five minutes sleep in the process. It's it's no one plays to lose, but right. you've got to have that mindset of it's okay. It's okay to lose. You know, I guess I pose to you, who won, who won KenCon last year? Uh, Aaron Russell. Okay. Year before? Aaron Russell. <laughs> so you've got someone who's been winning it year after year. Do you or yep. I, who, who haven't been playing in competitive events, really stand a chance if we wanted to play up at that end? <laughs> Probably like not. It's just not a thing, right? It's just not even yeah. a thing. So why stress about it? Like no, exactly right. We're, we're, we're coming in and, you know, my, my ultimate goal would be if I play five games over a weekend, I win two and I lose three, what a great weekend of playing. Right. Like, doesn't really matter because there's nothing riding on it. There's no ego. There's no there's no award at the end of the day where I can walk away with the best general. We've been through that, Brad. We've both been through that mm -hmm. in the past. And and it, it doesn't really – you don't walk away a better person for having come in the top couple for podium. You're not – you know, you, you've I've got a whole shelf of, of shiny kind of certificates that I've got over the years. <laughs> you know, it doesn't – make me a better person does it? it it just means i can play well you know i can play toy soldiers well and luck was on my side couldn't agree with that more i mean the i mentioned the last time that i went to cancon um i i did win uh i won in 2015 mm -hmm. and i made such an ass of myself with some of my friends who I ended up playing that i you know quit a podcast and felt really mm -hmm. bad about myself for years and stopped uh, stopped playing competitively and stopped playing in general forever. And yeah. I, you know, I realized that 
the uh, the little monster to win at all costs was there, and I didn't want to be that guy anymore. And so, so can, um, yeah, I yeah. think I've retired from that. And I, I think winning CanCon, you know, was a terrible thing for me at the time. And in the long run, though, I think it has changed my life for the better. Weirdly, so I've had the reverse in that playing Kings of War and the event that I, I go to at CanCon or parallel to CanCon. You know, 60 or 70 people attend and, you know, I've, I've been in the bottom five, I think, the last three years that I've played. And mm -hmm. and that in itself, because I, I do what I do, which is I I pick an army and I pick a list of from what I want to hobby mm -hmm. and what I want to paint. And it's hardly it's hardly within the meta. And, uh, and then inevitably I don't get many games with that list before I turn up. So I'm kind of getting up there as the ultimate Mr. Casual walking in and the game that it is, I, I just get absolutely blown off the table every single game. Um, and that in itself, because I'm not a person who wishes to commit uh, playing every week to a particular game system to get, get good, Ultimately, that also has an impact where you just kind of get burnt out and just go, I'm sick of being laughed at or I'm sick of being the loser in you know every single game and consistently bottoming out. But you know, I know I could get better, but I just don't want to put that time in to become that yeah. sort of a you know uh, to get good. Yeah. So stepping away for a little bit from that game is also an excellent thing. You know, is is like you know, it's not always good to lose, basically, and it's not always good to win. Agreed. I think because that has a that has a factor on you. The winning side of it comes with expectations, doesn't it? Um, mm -hmm. you know, win one year, well, guess what? You better win the next year, or you, you know, or, or you better podium because if you come down the bottom, then well, geez, what happened? Um, whereas, you know, the perfect place to be honest in these events is to come right smack bang in the middle. <laughs> you could always mm -hmm. improve, or you could do worse. Like, it's it's probably the perfect place to kind of fit. So if you could. I'm not sure how many people we've got going to CanCon, but let's just say 50. That if you can finish somewhere around, you know, say 20 to 30 is is probably the best place to to be. At last check, I think it was 64, okay, maybe 63. So shooting yeah. for 32, I think is the magic number this year. Uh, well, possibly if 31. Go, if you go 32, I'll go 33. <laughs> oh, there's the goal. I was going to say, you know, it, coming in this year, the goal is uh, just to see some friends and roll some dice and have some fun. But uh, I, I'm I'm sensing a friendly uh, wager there, Patch. Uh, and then what will happen if we end up facing each other in the Swiss system? It's going to be uh, it's going to be dice at six paces. Oh, for game five, no pressure. It's going to be good. <laughs> hey, should we speak about our lists? Because yeah, uh, well, they're similar but unique, aren't they? Well, I think this is the segue. If we face off in game five, wearing matching t-shirts, being similarly handsome, similarly height men with armies facing off one another and our armies are both Sikh Indian lists. Mm. Well, that's something, isn't it? So ladies and gentlemen, Patch and I are both running Indian British lists for CanCon this year. Although both of us are running very different lists and mm. neither one of us, I would argue, are running the metal list. Patch, would you like to go first? Because I'm sure yeah, I yeah. can waffle on about my list for quite a while. 
So I've spoken about it before on this cast to you is is earlier last year. Hang on, mm-hmm. where are we now? What 2024 now? So 2022 uh, when I caught up with you in Melbourne, we played some games, right? Yep. Um, and and I got to use your seeks, and I kind of just fell in love with the miniatures and the style, and I I really wanted to do it. And I was fortunate enough that you had some spare seeks there, and I took on as a project. Uh, and so what I wanted to do is is just be a little bit different from what your list is. And I looked at, you know, where you can use or where the Sikhs uh, fought. And I, I, I kept coming back to the Burma campaign where they really were in their, in their own uh, mm-hmm. during that particular campaign. And it's a somewhat not a theatre that many people really focus on. Um, obviously, European theatre and North Africa are the big ones, the Pacific, but... But Burma quite tucked away there is, is quite a niche thing. And it's, uh, I guess you don't see many lists coming up with that. So I, I decided to, to go down that path. And what I've done is is I've, I've created a list that's themed. It's in no way based on any individual specific historical unit. It's more a themed list. Now, we've got options um, to use the Sikhs. So you've got, I think it's Empire... Of the Sun is that the book where they they've got some special rules, Brad? They do. They also have special rules in Western Desert. Okay, it depends so on which special rules you're talking about, sir. So what I've done is coming back into the game and not having access to a physical copy of any of those expansions. Uh, I really went back to basics and went back to my uh, armies of Great Britain, armies mm-hmm. of Great Britain, uh, circa 2010. And went through, and there's a there's a Burma theatre selector way back that they created, and and whilst ultimately it's fairly basic in its configuration as what many of them were at the time, it gave me a framework to work towards to say, well, what units can I use? What can I put forward? Um, what kind of works for me? So, wanting to be fairly simplistic, uh, I what I don't want to do is go into a, an event. Uh, with any sort of complexity with my army. I want it relatively straightforward. As far as special rules go, I'm just going to minimise it. Um, so what I've done is I've picked the Burma selector from the armies of Great Britain nice. as, yeah, like one of the original, I think it's the original book, right, That the armies of books um, that's been around about 13 years now. I think it was and, the third. It went Germany, America, Great Britain. Okay. Germany, America, Great Britain, all right. Yep. Well, um, so what I've done, so I'm going with a single platoon. So, again, nothing complex for me. So I've got a second lieutenant with a buddy. I've got three regular infantry sections, all with 10 men. Um, now, with the players pack, uh, I'm sure, like when you spoke about it with Peter, if you've got a full squad, you get an LMG for free. So I'm just kind of... Uh, maximizing that so three times ten men uh, in there so you've got infantry with rifle uh, not, so eight infantry with rifles one NCO with submachine gun and a brand gun for mm-hmm. each one of those three sections then I've got and I feel a little bit dirty about this uh, however I've got two squads of uh, five with Gurkhas mm-hmm. now I, I, I wrestled with myself a bit about this because I'm like, oh, Gurkhas have such a bad reputation and I feel like if you take Gurkhas, you're really trying to, 
you know, you're maximizing your points and you it just feels a bit dirty, right? To take mm-hmm. it. And unfortunately, we've got to that point where they've got a bad name because I think they were just written so like they they're just so good, right? Yeah. But if you're ever gonna take Gurkhas, well, I think this is the army to do it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Indian Army, Gurkhas very heavily uh, involved in Burma. Um, this is where they would be. So I thought, look, it's my it's my one concession in this list of being things a little bit tough. However, uh, it's five Gurkhas with rifles. That's it. There ain't no submachine guns because, funnily enough, when Warlord Games put their Gurkha squads together, as I found out relatively recently, Ain't no one got SMGs. That's right. <laughs> so I'm going, I'm going five riflemen in each squad. Uh, so I think in that they could certainly be tuned a lot more than what they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a reason why uh, there's only five men, which I'm sure you'll pick up on, is that I'm taking two Indian carriers. Again, uh, mm-hmm. such a unique vehicle, but like in the the Armies of Great Britain book. It's actually utilizing the Bren carrier rules. That's right. So, you know, it's so basically one for one. You swap out the tracks for wheels and mm-hmm. you've got a carrier. Now, each one of those is going to have uh, a standard forward facing LMG, which stays with the vehicle. And then you've got a Pintle mounted LMG, uh, which will ha- obviously only be crewed whilst. The Gurkhas are in there because they can only fit five men. I've got two Gurkha squads of five men each. My national characteristic, uh, and we can only take one, is up and at them. Okay, so I kind of feel it's one of those things Burma, up and at them, um, looking, you know, the British rules going back, none of them really appealed or fit apart from that one. So that just means that I can, uh, I don't have to roll the dice, right, when I want to charge. Is That's that right. the rule? It's what we used to call back in the day, uh, bonsai British, which is mm. literally the bonsai Japanese rule. Whereas even even if your unit has a bunch of pins on it, um, you don't have to roll. You count as automatically having passed that test when charging someone. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's again, this is not a weak list, but it ain't tuned to the max. Right. Uh, I've got an MMG team. And with those new rules that Peter has brought in with the, you know, what is it? Whatever unit you aim at uh, gets one pin. And then if you hit them, they get a second pin. I think just Correct. really, really makes them powerful with that 36 inch range. Really, really great. Um, I've got, I've got a boys, any tank rifle team uh, mm-hmm. for its maximum firepower. And we all love boys, any tank rifle teams on ambush for the flanks. Right. And I've got the uh, almost must have, which is the 25 pounder. I think they're just such a great asset within the British list, having that dual role. And then uh, I've got the crown being the Sherman three and taking my main battle tank uh, being the Sherman three. Look, it it easily catches fire. (laughs) It's got got the turret mounted medium anti-tank gun, coaxial MMG and forward facing MMG. It doesn't even have the option as we know with the British, to have a, uh, a pencil mounted. So look for 195 points regular. I should state that all my units are regular except the uh, Gurkhas, Gurkhas mm-hmm. which actually come as a veteran. And then I've got, and I wrestled with this, and uh, I wasn't going to take the forward observer, the free forward observer for the British. 
on a purely purely ethical grounds uh, because I just detest them. However, look, I've been sort of spoken to by a few people with this list, uh, including Peter, which is like, well, dude, you should take it because <laughs> it's yeah. a free price. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take it. And mm-hmm. however, however, I, I ain't going to use it unless an extreme emergency where I might just broken arrow that thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, like almost guarantee you I've got like a 75% chance that'll come back on me anyway. Yeah. So maybe I should just run the dude out in the middle and broke an arrow and just put it on himself um, and I might actually kill something. So, look, that's the general list. I think you can kind of pick up the theme. Uh, it's got, it, being regular, look, it's it's kind of, you know, neither. It's just your, your basic um, solid solid core of a, of a formation with your your second lieutenant and your three 10 man regular rifle squads. Um, They're just, they're just so versatile and every situation you can possibly think of that they've got a purpose, right? Be it defensive, offensive with that, all having LMGs, they've got the firepower to punch out uh, and enough rifles to be a pain and enough men to have, you know, that the opponent is going to have to really, really focus fire on each squad at a time. Um, and I think the versatility of having 10 men, 10 regular men, as opposed to what you see with the veterans, is that you can really afford to soak up some damage before they become, I guess, combat not effective, right? Where generally in a squad, if you lose two to three vets, you're kind of in a bit of a hole. You've got, obviously, the two Gurkha squads with the Indian carriers, they're, they're the flankers. You know, I think we've shown that you need a mobile element in any sort of uh, bolt action game. Mm-hmm. Something either to flank or to push up on the board, something to take territory to put the initiative back upon the opponent, um, you know, to react to your movements, um, which you don't get from a purely infantry-based force. So you need some dudes in, in vehicles to try and put some pressure on the opponent's flanks or whatever the case may be. Um, and I think with the... The, the support teams, they're pretty standard. Everything's very standard. Uh, and I think with the Sherman, it's such a versatile, solid kind of vehicle that can do everything uh, is kind of where I'm at, which which really feeds into how simplistic this army is and how versatile it is to kind of face anything that comes at me. Um, and luckily enough, you know, I was able to obtain a few miniatures mm-hmm. uh, from our good mate Casey and his magic 3D printer, and they've just come up a treat, I think, to fix up a few of the gaps I had, particularly with the Indian carriers. So the army looks good. Um, it's ready to go. It should be pretty good against most uh, of what we face. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I was going to say, you definitely have some excellent tools in there. You have the mobile element with the Indian carriers, and that little switch from tracked carrier to wheeled carrier makes an unbelievable difference on the tabletop as far as mm. mobility. I know it seems like it's only three inches, but as someone who's run a lot of Indian carrier lists in the past, it can make a big difference, particularly if you're running to get into position. You can get so much further, especially yeah. when there are roads involved. And so you've got two of them. You can run them side by side and use it to pin sprinkle, put out multiple pins on multiple units, you know, side by side. And then, 
you know, if you need to, even you could have um, the Gurkhas jump out and do some additional shooting again, laying down some additional pins, which just allows the rest of your army to get into position. You've got the chin in the form of that, that Sherman tank that it's got some guns. You've got the HE on the main gun on that, but conversely, it can also be fired as an AT asset. You've got some light anti-tank assets in the form of the 25 pounder, which again, versatile can be fired as your howitzer. You've got the ATR and you've got um, plenty of reach out and touch someone with the LMGs and MMG and just some basic riflemen in that mm. list. So you can really get into position and hold it. And if people come at you and even if they pin you, you don't care. You can charge them because you have bonsai British. So you, you have some excellent tools there. And as you said, if it all goes wrong, you can just call an ar artillery strike on yourself and have a go with that and see if that works out for you. <laughs> it's just, look, it's, it's a game plan, whether it's a good one or not, we're yet to see. Yeah, I don't think that's going to work. But, um, you know, if you want to spite your opponent, take that. Ah, I think, look, <laughs> I think it's genius. I love it. <laughs> Before I get to mine, I do want to point out that I have gotten so used to looking at Indian carriers in desert mm. scheme mm. to see yours in green has just been mind blowing for me just to look at that is just so much fun. And the, and the color scheme difference between your army and my army. Yes. We're both British. Yes. We're, you know, our guys have the turbans. Yes. Um, they're going to have similar attributes as far as the vehicles, the uniforms, the weapons, but our armies look very different. And That's yours brilliant. is so beautifully painted. I think uh, something that you know maybe it's it's the first time we've been able to really do this with the with the evolution in three D printing was to have mm -hmm. the full vehicle crews for the Indian carriers, and when I when I got them delivered from Casey, here they are. They've got a driver, they've got the front gunner, and they've got a pintle mounted dude with the the Bren gun. Like it it looks like a complete vehicle. So when it hits a tabletop gone in the past where i've kind of had either scratchy crew or no crew at all on vehicles now mm. now it looks complete whereas mine they've been around the world for a million times but i've never put the pintle mounted gunners in my indian carriers until now to roll back the clock a little bit a million years ago i bought an artisan designs metal Indian army that was painted by the great warlord Tobu of the LRDG podcast fame. And the infantry for that army is gorgeous. And I ran that army the last time I played bolt action at CanCon. And I've since sold that army twice and bought it back twice. I just can't let this army go. So at this point, I don't think I'm ever going to sell it again. It's just going to be with me till I die. But when I was talking to Pete about running anything at CanCon this year, he encouraged me to, to, to look at the Indians again. A, he knew that you were running Sikhs, but also, you know, I was spinning, tail spinning between uh, my Soviet Naval Brigade that I'd been working on forever um, but I was agonizing that it would end up being quote unquote too meta. So I wanted to do something a little different. 
And he suggested, why don't you just go back with the list that you're happy with? And um, I said, cool, I'll do that. And that led me to what got me to buy the Indians in the first place, which was the first time I saw a YouTube video of what had been labeled the Indian LRDG. I was on the LRDG podcast at the time. I thought this is a cool little idea. And I saw the Indian carrier driving over sand dunes in this video. And I built my army around what I saw in that video. Now, I could never find any historical record that matched what I saw in that video with the carriers, the armored cars that I couldn't identify, mm -hmm. um, the trucks that were there. Nothing looked LRDG to me. And nothing matched anything that I could find with LRDG in research. But you got to remember, that was 2014, mm. 2015. And in that time, turns out people have done a little bit more research. And that video has been identified as being mislabeled. And I was able to get the name of the actual unit. And all I had to do was a simple Google search. And all of a sudden... I had all the information to actually create the unit in that video, which was the inspiration for my CanCon winning list way back in the day. So I am basing my entire army in solely on what was actually fielded by the actual unit I saw in that video. And it's got a name. Man, it delivers all these years later. The Guides Cavalry, 10th Queen Victoria's own frontier force. Whoo, what a mouthful. It was created in September of 1940. It was a mechanized unit. It had, sorry, a light uh, reconnaissance regiment. It had wheeled armored carriers, trucks, and armored cars. In May of 1941, it went to Iraq. It took part in the Anglo-Soviet invasion of Iran. It, uh, it supported infantry and stormed and captured the city of... Koramishtar in August of that year. In June of 42, the uh, regiment was in North Africa and helped to cover the 8th Army's open desert flank as it withdrew towards Egypt. And then it returned to Iraq in the summer of 42. In November of 43, it returned to India where it was converted into a proper full armored car regiment and operated on the Northwest frontier uh, for the rest of the war. They were notably involved with the withdrawal from, I believe, the second battle of El Alamein. So going through and actually doing some reading and reading the conflict that this unit took part in, um, I learned quite a few things that I wanted to incorporate in this course. One, um, cocky British officers who weren't exactly, how should I say, uh, super careful with their Indian subordinates. Um, I wanted to get the Indian carriers, the, uh, the wheeled carriers that you were running in. I wanted to get those unidentified armored cars that Brian Cook helped me to identify as Marmon Harrington Mark III armored cars. I needed to get those in. Plus, I wanted to get a two-pound tortilla. So my list is very different from yours. My list is entirely mounted, and it uses the other Indian national rule. So I don't have a free artillery observer. I have free 10 regular men. According to the player pack for CanCon, 
uh, because as you said, if you have a full size squad, I get a free LMG. I also have another 10 man squad, which also has a free LMG. So we're both running a couple of those. Uh, you have three, I have two. Rather than Gurkhas in my trucks, because this unit didn't have Gurkhas, I have three five-man regular infantry squads, all of which are in Indian carriers. So I have three Indian carriers in this list. It is a dual platoon list. So I have two inexperienced second lieutenants. I know that's meta and gamey, but I really wanted to put the inept British officers in, and that's the best way I could do it. I have a medium mortar because they had those. I have a boys anti-tank team because, again, they had those. And as you know, I love an anti-tank rifle, uh, as we were talking about a minute ago. I have two 15CWT trucks, and I have a three-ton truck as well. So I have the trucks to move everyone around. So basically the 10 man squad goes in a truck. The other 10 man squad goes in a truck. And then in the small truck, you have the two lieutenants, the mortar team, and you have the ATR. Um, I have three Indian carriers. I have a pair of Mormon Harrington armored cars, which don't have rules in bolt action, weirdly. So I'm using the Otter light reconnaissance vehicle because it's the closest thing I can get which is in the armies of Great Britain on page 54. It is a 85-point armored car, 7-up armor with recce. It is closed top. It has a forward-facing light anti-tank rifle and a turret-mounted LMG, um, which is slightly different than the Marmon Harrington, which had the ATR in the turret, but I'm just going to fire it forward in the forward arc for this event. No tanks. 19 dice, all regular, except for the lieutenants. Very mobile, very hitty, I'm hoping. But my only anti-tank is the light anti-tank gun on the two-pound portee. I may have forgotten to mention that. The anti-tank rifle and the two anti-tank rifles on my armored cars. Um, everything else is basic rifles. I have one SMG in my entire lift. And I have um, two LMGs, and that's it. So it feels a little weird. It feels like I don't have enough guys on the table because I only have, what, 35 riflemen, two teams, and two lieutenants with no friends. But I guess I'll be moving a lot of vehicles around. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess in a weird way, I'm running a list that almost feels LRDGE in that it's all truck mounted, all fast, but it is based, as I said, entirely on what that unit fielded in battle. And they were a mobile unit. So it was important for me to have everything truck mounted. But um, I really did want to do right by that because I'd never really fully historically themed a list to what was actually in a unit to this detail before. So um, yeah, the guide's cavalry, 10th Queen Victoria's own frontier force will appear at CanCon, um, and I just hope I do them justice. Yeah, look, I, I really love it because whereas it's almost the opposite of mine, but using the same the same army, whereas yeah. mine is the, the peanut butter of sandwiches, 
you know yours is the full the full works um it, it's just such a, yeah well it, it's it's not people won't know how to deal with it i think it's probably what the the big one is is that you're going to look at that army and go, how are you going to use this? Like what's, you look at my army and everyone knows straight up how it's going to work. You look at your army and go, well, I don't really know. So that's going to be your biggest uh, factor there. And is that, first of all, you love using a mobile list, so you're going to be good at it. Mm -hmm. But people won't know how to counter you. There's just so much mobility within that list um, is that you'll surprise people. You'll be up in their faces before they know it. Um, you'll be, yeah, you'll be all over the place. And I think it'll be a really good, fun list to play. And most importantly, because it's a a list that's coming from, you know, a real personal passion of yours, you'll really enjoy playing it. Yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I have no stress about running this list other than I need to figure out how to paint desert vehicles again, because I have to paint the armored cars and a couple more trucks, but mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited about it. I did not mention the national rule. I am running the national rule that's tied to the 10 Freeman squad, which is it is called unsurpassed bravery. And Indian uh, units can have it. And it is the Soviet rule where if you're going to be destroyed because of a failed morale test, you get to re-roll that, which yeah. is the national rule I usually run my Sikhs with. So, um, yeah. Uh, I think it'll be pretty good. Yeah, I think, like I said, most most armies we we quite often, you know, pack for bear in in these sort of lists. Are like, oh, worst case scenario, we're going to be facing panthers, or we're going to be facing all these heavy vehicles. So we're always thinking about uh, thinking about how we're going to counter armor on a table. Mm -hmm. Yet. The usually, usually the armor's impact on a battle is much less than what we ever think it will be. Exactly. Right? We always think, oh, there's an enemy tank. We kind of get a lot of anxiety about that tank. Yet in the end, it probably doesn't do a great deal. In all my experience playing however many games I've played of bolt action, that main tank, that goes on the field very rarely is a deciding factor in mm -hmm. is to you know whether a game was won or lost however we have a disproportionate thought process around countering those threats so when you talk about your list being light on when it comes to any tank i just don't think that's such a big issue uh, i think the fact that you've got those anti-tank rifles and i think we've seen that they're just pins are so Pins are more important on armor than destroying it almost um, in the sense that, you know, I've got a couple of ATRs, it's going to pin units, it's going to do enough damage. And it's going to like, I guess the other side of the coin is when we're thinking about it is, you know, whilst we have a disproportionate mindset as about how um, much damage that enemy tank unit can do when you're rolling with a tank, you're anxious about losing that vehicle so much mm -hmm. that you become quite tentative about deployment. Weirdly, is you're like, well, I've got an armor nine vehicle and they've got an anti-tank rifle, and you're like, oh, it should be okay. You know, oh, I'm gonna panic about that in case they can pin me out. You're like, eh. <laughs> so you so it's that sort of 
double issue around taking a main battle tank, like my Sherman, for example. It's like, oh, I don't want to put it at risk because it's 195 points or whatever and I don't want to lose mm -hmm. it. You become quite tentative with them, whereas I think with your uh, your list, you've got a lot of redundancy there. Uh, so I putting vehicles in harm's way is not going to be such an issue for you. Yeah, so my think... most expensive vehicle is a pair of 85-point light light reconnaissance cars and my yeah. most expensive unit is a hundred point uh 10 man rifleman squad so uh i'm uh i'm running lots of cheap stuff and yes yeah. thinking about the point you're making when i played my auto sahariana which was this but italians with much better vehicles but much mm -hmm. worse national rules I would just run things in willy-nilly, almost fearlessly, because everything was relatively cheap. And I knew that if they blew up the vehicle, oh, well, there's a squad inside that can jump out and do something. So I almost want to go back to my third ed 40K days and you know talk about the cult of speed where I'm just zooming around the place shooting. I don't feel bad about zipping around with these guys and putting them in harm's way to get where I need to go. But I also have the speed to disappear and hide if I need to and then come out when I want to. So I am not running a single tracked vehicle. It's a lot of wheeled vehicles. Um, so I am a little I, I need to play a couple of practice games to mm. get my head back in the game of how to play high mobility lists and how to really consider how far a wheeled vehicle can get on the tabletop. But as you say, it's a list style I've run before. And I'm, I'm very happy with that. And with the three Indian carriers and two armored cars, I have five vehicles that can split pins between two units every yep. turn. So I'm hoping to do some heavy duty pin sprinkling because if you put two pins on someone, even if they pass their test, there's still a minus one to hit you. But with two pins or even three pins, then people are talking about, well, I'll just rally. Well, if you yep. rally, that's great. I hope you rally because then my army has more of an opportunity to get in your face and get where I want to go unmolested because I'm going as fast as I can in every given direction that I want to go. And I want to deny you the shooting opportunities to shoot me back. While you were talking, I was thinking about you know, that theory. It's a game about pinning. It's always a game about pinning. And my most successful list was the the French list that I took to CanCon, mm -hmm. which was the entirely inexperienced list. And it was a numbers game, right? So if every squad, I think I took seven 10-man mm -hmm. squads, they're all inexperienced. So the chance of hitting something was relatively, you know, once you took, once you took into consideration, uh, you know, inexperience plus movement, range, yeah, you're almost always hitting on sixes, but I only need one to hit. And when I've got seven squads, all of a sudden things start to get pinned out really quickly. That's right. It's uh, yeah, that's um, reminds me of that that list. So, yeah, it's a pinning game, and I think you've got that. Um, and I think it'd be good fun to play and good fun to play against. Yeah, and that's the other thing. I don't think it. I don't necessarily feel bad fielding it either. Um, in that. Anyone who breathes on it funny and that list just dies. Like Almost everything in the army dies to a rifle or can die to a rifle. So as that's the most common weapon in the game, you know, I have a fragile list. 
but um, <laughs> I just need to uh, make sure that my opponents don't have as many opportunities to shoot me as I as as I'm hoping. So yeah, look, uh, yeah. I'm not sure what what the um. I don't really have any expectations about what we're going to be facing at CanCon. I kind of feel like the world is that it's probably not moved on a great deal since 2017-18. So I assume we're going to see a lot of British lists. I assume we're going to see a lot of German lists um, and a smattering of, of Americans. I, I'm not sure. What, what are your expectations? Uh, I'm expecting a lot of Soviets. Um, Soviets have been playing a fair number of events and given their rules and the variety of um, troops that you can take with them. Um, mm -hmm. I know that um, some very successful players have been running Soviets successfully. So I'm not expect I'm expecting to see a lot of Soviets. Um, like you say, I'm expecting to see a lot of British. I'm expecting to see um, some Americans, as you said. Uh, look, Germans are always popular um, because this is the Germans. They're the iconic bad guys. Yeah. I I would expect that we would see more Japanese than what we saw back in the day. Um, yeah. given how people are kind of figuring out that they're not just a point and click army, and there's some really some really tasty stuff in those books, um, both in the Empire and Flames book and um, in the Armies of Japan book and some of the other books they appear i wouldn't be surprised if um we saw some fairly tuned up japanese lists as well if going by local events that i've run here in melbourne anything to go by uh but i would also say that there's going to be some it being cancon i'm hoping we're going to see some really cool minor power armies and when pete was on he said that um i think only 15 of uh the lists have been turned in at that point which was about a quarter of the field and he said on the episode the 15 that had been turned in were really wide spanning as far as mm. army selection and nationalities so i think i think we're going to get a nice variety for this event uh, i'm sure there's going to be commonalities um that that will be appearing across the tabletops but um, it being CanCon and CanCon having its own reputation and expectation, I expect we're going to see some really cool stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And the other thing I'm looking forward to uh, is just how the painting's going. So mm -hmm. being out of the scene, you know, back when back when we were playing a lot, I was doing pretty well, I think, with uh, the painting side of it, and I picked up some pretty good best-painted over the years at some of the big events. So coming back into the scene after a while, I'm just really interested as to the level of painting and just to seeing where that's at. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, you're being very humble. You have an unbelievable number of painting awards uh, and well-deserved, I might add. Uh, I do have to say that there has been an unbelievable upswing in the quality of armies that we're seeing not that we didn't see beautiful armies before but um given all the new paints and technologies and the prevalence of people learning new skills through youtube and social media um and um, some really talented painters and artists coming from other game systems slash just you know picking up bolt action from out of nowhere um the the level of hobby expectation i would expect 
to be high. Yeah, but I think that just makes for a better looking table. And I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing what what is actually there. Mm-hmm. So I'm just thinking that there's been some been some pretty significant changes um, in the in the hobby world. You know, you think about the the, the introduction of the contrast painting and the uh-huh. the army paint and speed paints, um, as well as 3D printing, being able to make your army more complete and not be not be kind of constrained by by the manufacturer's uh, ideals of what they think a unit looks like. I think That's it's right. going to be interesting. That and how many more manufacturers are there now than there used to be? Mm. There's so many more. Uh, and, you know, there's just the ability for people to find information about the units and um, the uniforms and what vehicles actually look like has only increased with, uh, you know, the onset of the digital age. So, I mean, I know learning about my unit for this event, how much more information was possible than when I ran it last time. And the same was true with my fins. I started running them again a couple of years ago and they were the army I was supposed to take to Gankon that year, but couldn't get finished. Um, finished. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, however, by going back and researching, I was able to, again, build a force on a particular battle um, using what limited information I was able to find and then back that up from with some other sources. But, you know, using stuff that was translated from Finnish, whereas before you needed someone to translate that. Now you just put it into Google and it spits out. May not be perfect, but you're getting more information than ever before. And that means that people are putting more, you know, are you able to find out more information and then translating that information into what they're painting on the tabletop to bring this full circle. So I think we're just going to see some really cool stuff on the table that we just haven't seen before. And it's going to be rad. Can't wait. No, I think it's really good. Um, Should we get back together after CanCon? Yes. I think we should. 100%. And we can say... Who won? Who came 32nd and who came 33rd? That's it. Man, Patch, it has been an absolute pleasure talking shop, and I cannot wait to see you in a couple of weeks. Uh, But more to the point, um, we're just going to have a blast, and then we can come back and tell everyone about our adventures. Are you excited? Amazing. Yes, I am. I'm very excited. Uh, Any final words, sir? No. It's good good to speak to you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Um, we are, of course, part of the Ghost Army podcast. We hope to bring more episodes of the Ghost Army podcast in the year to come. Uh, you never know. It might just happen. Uh, but um, we're hoping to get some of the old crew back on at different points as well. Uh, and as always, if you would like more episodes about Bolt Action, please do check the parent uh, network that this show appears on cast dice c-a-s-t-d-i-c-e if you would like to contact us please go to the bolt action alliance facebook page and message us there Um, you are guaranteed a response by one of the many members of the ghost army podcast until next time which hopefully will be in about a month when we can talk about our results this is old man morin saying have a good night
That's the ghost army.